Hello, this is Pete Jacobs. Welcome to Live Your Own Fit Podcast. Another episode here and a very special guest this week. We have David Haywood, a 24-year-old lad who just finished cycling around the world in 349 days. He's from London. He only was 23 when he left home. Incredible journey that he embarked on on his own. And we catch up with him in this interview about what it means to travel around the world, experience different cultures, live on your own, uh, be totally self-sufficient, have a tent on your bike, a very heavy bike, and just keep riding all day, every day for a year. I just want to quickly remind you about Live Your Own Fit. It's a coaching performance and health company that Jamie and I have founded, and we want to improve anybody's nutrition, mindset, exercise plans, sleep routines, and all other aspects of their life that they would like to improve. As an Ironman world champion who's had depressive, undiagnosed fatigue for all of my career and even before it began, um, I've had all sorts of symptoms and know how troubling it can be to have some health issues and not be able to perform at your best. I've found answers to unlock health and performance where the establishments could not. I've worked with world leaders in many fields and learnt from them what truly matters for optimal health and performance. So currently, we're getting a lot of clients that have similar health issues to mine, and it's great to be able to pass on what I've learned to them and fix some of their major issues very quickly. Jamie and I are working really well together to give everybody everything from recipes to great protocols for sleeping to great training plans and everything else in between. We're really enjoying this process and looking for more clients to take on currently. So if you'd like to work with us, if you've got any questions, about how to improve your health and performance. We'd love to answer them. Now, on to the show. Yes, we're away, mate. Congratulations. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's good to be back. It's uh, nice to have that done. And yeah. uh, on to the next project. <laughs> well, we've got to talk about what was done. Um, brilliant. You've just made it back to London after cycling around the world. And part of that was a little stop here in Noosa where we met. And followed your journey since then and it's just been epic following you um you've done such a good job on social media and as well as the actual act of riding around the world obviously yeah um yeah i appreciate it yeah it's been uh, been good fun yeah so i want to start everyone just give let everyone wrap their heads around what you've done with a few of your your stats right so average kilometers and everything else yeah, yeah. So uh, total trip distance was 21,619 miles, which is 34,793 kilometers. Uh, 33 countries, uh, did over 349 days. Um, yes, yeah, so average kilometers a day. I took a lot of rest days. I wasn't particularly racing around the world. Um, it was a chance to explore and a final bit of freedom before medical school. And so I uh, didn't want to race it. So uh, did the average still like including rest days was about hundred kilometers a day. Um, and then, uh, without rest days was about 90 miles, which is what? 146 kilometers. Yeah. yeah. I'm still terrible at converting miles to kilometers, but yeah. I was about to say you're, you're very good at it. You've been doing it like for 349 days. So you, you're pretty, pretty guess we have, we're now. still, yeah, we're still over here on the Imperial system. Over. <laughs> and how heavy was the bike? Too heavy. Uh, 30 kilos in total. So it was about, about 11 kilos for the bike. And then I had about 19, 20 kilos of gear, depending on how much water I was carrying. So like in the desert in Uzbekistan, I had an extra 10 kilos of water. So it was about what, 40 kilos or something? Yeah, that would be about 40 kilos then. So yeah, it was a, it was a heavy bit of kit. Jeez. Um, and 
very self-sufficient and trying to do it on a budget as much as you could. So how many nights Absolutely. were f- camping? How many nights were paid ACOM? And then what the other in between, the free ACOM in between? So camping, camping nights was, uh, oh, I can't remember, about 70 nights camping, I think, over the whole thing. Uh, I was trying to, in places, it's yeah, unwise to camp or places in China, very illegal to camp. Um, and so I think total was 25% of the time was in paid accommodation. And the rest of it was uh, was kind of just wild camping or trying to stay with nice people such as yourself. And uh, <laughs> yeah, just uh, because that was part of the fun of it. And that's part of the fun of bike touring for me is you have to engage with other people and you have to seek help. Uh, and you have to do it between all the tourist spots that you normally go to, like a gap year or, uh, or any kind of holiday. It's kind of, you're ending up in, I don't know, like Rockhampton and stuff and like up in Australia. It's just like, yeah. And so it's quite, yeah, it's more difficult to, uh, yeah, it's, you have, yeah, you don't want to pay for accommodation all the time. And so you wouldn't get very far if you pay for accommodation all the time. So like, especially back in Europe, I got to, was in Salzburg and uh, I turned up quite late and I was like, I was pouring with rain. I was find a cheap hotel, cheap hostel or something. And the cheapest hostel was like 45 euros. Um, which these days is 45 pounds. So what's that? $90 or something. Um, the Australian, 90, 90 Australian. So like, that's so much money. Cause I was basically aiming for around 10 us dollars a day, um, on kind of living and everything. And then you've got to add yeah. flights and stuff on top of that. So $10 a day with shit. food. Yeah. Food, with food Acom, yeah. Everything. Yeah. That was, that's crazy. Yeah, that's, that's, that's 10 us dollars. So what's that? I don't know what that is in Australian 16, 17 Australian. <laughs> too many currencies the yeah. state of the state of my wallet by the time i got home was an absolute joke i was like carrying some tie bar around and this is a joke yeah and you've gone went through a few chains a few tires yeah so went through 12 tires uh i think it was seven chains um yeah i was just trying to change those bits before they ruined the rest of the components and then what just went through so two did two chain rings and so two cassettes because it's changed at the one time when I got to Singapore. So by the end of it, because it was a one by chain ring, and so there's no kind of front derailleur to, to catch it. And so if I was changing like the chain got to so stretched by the end and the chain ring was so kind of like so worn that if I was changing gear at the wrong point of the rotation, the chain would just come off. Because it was just so strange. Because this is one chain ring, so it's not being caught by the derailleur or anything. And so it would just come straight off. And so I had to really kind of be careful where I was changing gear. Um, and quite an art and this is at like 300 plus days in when it was getting pretty bad towards the end and you're just gonna yeah that was that was right at the end and so it's kind of uh so was that what was it like with frustrations at that point then was it harder at the end than it was at the beginning to deal with annoying frustrations or it was it was a little bit i mean it's you're so close to the end and it's like you can quite is i try so hard not to get too far ahead of myself because it's kind of I think what the stat is all a large majority of accidents or 80 percent of accidents happen within like the last five percent of your journey and so like the last five percent of my journey is basically kind of from i don't know austria back to london kind of thing and so it's that kind of whole like yeah rather than being the last 10 minutes of your bike ride home it's the last two weeks and so just not trying to think about too far ahead which gets difficult when you've got people kind of at home going so what are you doing can i come and meet you and what's going on what's the plan for afterwards and it's like I just have to think about getting into Germany. I don't have to think about getting home. And so it did become frustrating because I got to, yeah, I uh, had a few issues. So 
I had the the rear wheel kept coming out of true, um, basically all the way up the Adriatic coast. So I, I got it fixed in Albania and managed to find quite a good shop actually in Albania, which I was surprised about. Um, and then it became just progressively worse. And going up the Alps, it uh, it just kept because it was like disc brakes. And I'm learning to be a better mechanic, but I'm still not a great mechanic. And so uh, the the wheel was so out of true that it was end up hitting the kind of the brake caliper. And so I could try to do what I could to try and kind of straighten up. The, the caliper and get it in the right place but it was still it, the wheel was such a kind of uh, out of out of line that it was becoming an issue and uh i tried to get it in a good shape and tried to get it in a kind of the wheel straighter but it still kind of had issues and so uh just going up the alps i was just too frustrated and too tired to kind of sit there at the side of the road trying to true a wheel um and so just basically took the rear brake off uh the whole caliper off basically up the hill and then got to the top and then put it back on and then for the descent um which it was rubbing less, the whole than, way less than ideal, but it was it was just too frustrating because even if you think even if it's kind of a tiny, tiny little rub mentally, that's just such a drain, like dragging yourself up an alp. It's like I just can't deal with it. And so I was like, I'm gonna get completely rid of it. And so I know that's not a problem. And then I'll just put it back when I get to the top. So was there any point in the three hundred and forty nine days, was it? Yep. Um yep. and how many countries? Uh thirty three. Thirty three countries. Any point where it, the frustration kind of you had to sit out for a bit and just take time out because it, it did kind of overwhelm you either due to loneliness or things like that. What, what was that like? Not talking to people. Was there a point where you yeah. kind of went a bit mad? <laughs> um, I hope not. <laughs> no, I mean, there were points I found which were difficult. So like there are parts in China because I, because of the time I left, I headed west around the world and a large majority of people who were doing around the world trip were headed east because the prevailing wind at the latitude to end up cycling, um, as you want to be able to see on the map, I've drawn all over. <laughs> They've got, uh, the, the prevailing wind is easterly, kind of above, I think it's above 30 degrees kind of north and then below 30 degrees south. And so that's the majority of the latitude you end up cycling. And so if you head east, you get a tailwind a majority of the time. So a place in northern China, you just get absolutely battered by a headwind. And it was absolutely disgusting. And so there were a couple of times then when I'd kind of planned to be a certain town or planned to be somewhere. And you can't in like this part of China, like Xinjiang region, you're not allowed to camp. Like it's frowned upon to camp pretty much anywhere in China. But Xinjiang is very heavy police presence. And so there's checkpoints every 30 kilometers and they're waiting for you. And so you can't just stop at the side of the road. I had to get to the city to find a hotel. You have to stay in a hotel and a tourist specific hotel at that, which can be fun to find but it was like a 200 kilometer day and i had a ridiculous headwind so i was crawling along at like less than 10 miles an hour so about maybe 15 kilometers an hour for the first eight hours and it's like just and it's just empty kind of like desert land and you're kind of it's just outside the gobi desert and so it's just empty and you're just battering into a headwind and this is you can see kind of you're going so slowly you can kind of see two hours into your into your kind of future and you can see like on the horizons like, that's where i'm going to be in like an hour and a half two hours time and that's a couple of times then I just stopped and just like, it's ridiculous. But the further I got in the trip, the shorter kind of uh, the gap kind of between getting frustrated and actually uh, kind of recovering again became. And so quickly kind of, you get into a hole like, and then you kind of, just, it became a, a shorter time where you just kind of like, okay, well, I'm the one who's got to get myself moving. Me getting frustrated isn't going to help. The only thing you can do is just keep putting one foot in front of the other and keep moving forward. And that's all you can do. Yeah. And, and, and so you that's got part better. of the beauty of it. Yeah, I got so better, you got at, better doing at that, it. of being in yeah. the moment. So you, yeah. 
you've already before you even did this you'd already done a few journeys like you'd done mm. most countries for a guinness world record in seven days on bike yeah yeah so you're yeah. already like a fairly good adventurer um but you're saying that your mindset your ability to be in the moment and yeah. let the frustrations pass got better yeah i just kind of would would bounce back from kind of a, a dip more quickly because you kind of rather than getting frustrated for 10 minutes it's kind of saying well you kind of you've been through that thought pattern before because you've been to the dark hole before. And so you just come out and say, well, me getting frustrated by it isn't going to help. Like the option is either you jump in the back of a car or you just kind of set up camp for the day. And it's like, well, as soon as you set up camp, you know, like, oh, I can carry on going a little bit. And you know that just even just, it became just not looking at the speed, not looking at anything else other than let's put the time in and the miles will come. And just like, all you can control is putting one foot in front of the other. And you're making some progress, even if it is tiny and frustrating. And yeah, and I just I became better and better at doing that. And I like I in Austria it was frustrating going up the Alps and all the brake rubbing and stuff. And I tried all what I could to uh, to do it. And then, but yeah, with the level of my mechanic skills, it's kind of like you start chewing a wheel, start playing around with the spokes, and then you do it slightly wrong. And you because you haven't got like a spoke kind of tensiometer to check spoke tension and stuff. And you you're doing it and potentially you're more likely to break a spoke and break and crack a rim than you are than anything else. And so. I tried, so I was like, just getting frustrated by it. And that was when I wanted to just set up a set up camp at the side of the road. I was like, I'm done today. And then I sat there for 10 minutes and I was like, you've got, you've got time. You can carry on going. Like there's still daylight. Bounce back. Yeah, exactly. It's still daylight and you're still making some progress, even if you are going like four miles an hour. And so like, just keep going. And yeah. And then with about, with about a week to go, you were thinking about the the future because you had all your friends and family and saying, yeah. oh, we want you home on Saturday so we can arrange yeah. Saturday. And so you yeah. pushed through one night and rode 500 yes. kilometers nonstop yes. one time. 505 was it? Uh, 510 actually, because yeah. I went to the center of Paris and that's go to where I was staying. So like, yeah, it was a uh, 510, so 317 miles. And yeah, but it was like 20, like riding time, like 24 hours, 50 minutes, something so. It was, uh, and then total was like 31 hours. So it was, uh, it was interesting. And I was kind of something I wanted to do just to see what it was like, kind of part of the whole trip, really just curiosity and just kind of just see what kind of possible for me and what was uh, just keep kind of growing that adventure muscle and keep stretching yourself. And so uh, I hadn't done a kind of all nighter yet. And some parts of Asia, you don't really want to do an all nighter because it's like just the roads are so uh interesting so we say <laughs> and yeah. so yeah and so france is pretty empty for the most part and so you're just going through tiny sleepy little villages and the problem with that is that you can't find anywhere to get food or water or caffeine so you're kind of just uh just putting your head down and carry on flying through the night but uh yeah managed to get through it and it was a good little insight into some of the like crazy endurance races like the race across america and stuff and the transcontinental was actually happening in europe at the same time and so I've crossed the whole path of a whole bunch of them in Slovenia. Um, but some people just, I don't understand those races. Like I, like I know people who've done like just kind of back to back nights and uh, like just gone through two nights straight and just carry on riding. And I was like, I don't know how you, I don't know how you can do that safely because yeah. there's just so many things on the road that yeah, kind of out of your control. And I just don't understand how it's not riding drunk. I just don't, it's crazy. So like, <laughs> big respect or like just I, I yeah to people who do that if you could do that and manage that safely i've got no idea um like i've done a bit of endurance riding now and it's kind of like i don't it's crazy you were you were basically living on caffeine and sugar for 
almost a year basically is that that yeah. was your diet uh, it yeah it wasn't brilliant like <laughs> yeah it wasn't wasn't the most outstanding food but like yeah i mean i tried to get some good like fats and stuff when i could like going across uh like central asia and stuff there's just there's a lot of meat mainly horse meat um which you can't really when you don't speak russian it's kind of quite difficult to order anything so it's just pointing at stuff and yeah that looks okay um i had a lot of eggs and stuff because i so managed to guess the word for eggs in Russian, so I uh, managed to get that done. And so basically, it was just kind of uh, trying to find eggs and stuff because they're pretty nutritious and there's a good amount of protein and fat and stuff in that. And uh, but I was having a lot of like coke as well, like just because <laughs> part of it because it's so acidic and it's such a <laughs> todgy like thing to have uh, that you end up like just killing off any bacteria and any bugs that you put in your stomach. That if, if the food is slightly dodgy or the meat's slightly been out for too long, just chuck down a can of coke and managed to kill off a lot of stuff. So I only had one day that I was actually sick um, the whole trip. Like I had one day I had to sit out. There was a few days that kind of uh, wasn't hundred percent, but you could still ride. Um, so yeah, but so yeah, Coke helps, but I mean, now I'm <laughs> kind of having a big, de- having, yeah, having a, having a big detox from, uh, uh, from that kind of stuff and getting back to it and trying to eat properly again. And uh, yeah, so I've had two weeks of basically mentally checking out doing nothing and um, starting today. Uh, today today's day 365 so it's uh so the year tomorrow that i left um yep wow yeah, with, now yeah so detoxing from coffee as well then yeah yeah so like yeah i've uh trying to just yeah detox from everything really and uh just kind of yeah get reset the body and then get back to it um yeah because the other stuff that's that's how we met i guess is because you were yeah. a triathlete before um yeah you started this journey and so you knew of yeah. me before you went off on the journey and then basically by the time you got to australia and you're a couple of days out from noosa you sent yeah. me a message and said hey you know i'm a triathlete riding around the world yeah. and you know yeah, i'm yeah. interested in math method phil maffetone's yeah. um math uh formula for for training aerobically um you're interested in the high fat diet even though you were forced on the budget to and the <laughs> yeah, pretty much. To, to live on the junk food yeah, yeah. And you said, if I got a place to stay for, for a night or so. And I was like, yeah, sure. Uh, that sounds great. And so you rocked up yeah, yeah. with a big, really rough black beard. And also, uh, yeah, it's, it's horrible. Yeah. It wasn't good. <laughs> how, old, how old did this guy say he was? And then, yeah, and, then you, uh, and then you shaved it, um, and then you looked like you do now. And suddenly it mm-hmm. took off about 20 years off your life. And yeah, uh, exactly. So you ended up staying for three nights. And we had a great time in Noosa. Um, yeah. It was really good. Um, so my point of the story is that you were a triathlete first and interested yeah. in healthy living and now you're going off to, um, medical school. So yes. you're, you've got this interest in health and fitness, um, yeah. that you yeah, I'm just, kind of want to get yeah. back into. For sure. Like, so yeah, before I, I picked up triathlon and stuff at university, um, after my oldest brother did a, did an Ironman, I was like, well, if he could do it, I mean, I might as well get into triathlon. I'm sure I could do Sure, I could beat him. So it's just I'm one of five and four brothers, so we're all pretty competitive. Um, and so like, I thought if he could do it, I could get into it. And then started doing it, and was just doing kind of the standard, more kind of conventional triathlon training and stuff, and just pounding a lot of intervals and kind of smashing myself like several times a week and just doing really hard sessions. And I just kept getting injured and kept getting like sick. So I was like training for a month and then getting sick for a few days and then like having to kind of like yeah one step forward, one step back, and you weren't really taking any, making any progress. And it was frustrating because it was like, the, what little progress I did make over the course of a year, I was like, well, at this rate, like, 
with a very simplistic mind, it was kind of looking at it going, well, there are athletes at this university or athletes kind of in the UK nationally who are competing at the, like the national university triathlon championships um, with effectively the same tools at their disposal as me in terms of they're still humans and they're not like taking drugs and stuff. And so there must be something fundamentally that I'm missing in training and something fundamentally I'm missing. And because even at this rate, it would take me 15 years to get anywhere near kind of top 50 kind of thing. Um, Cause I was very, very kind of average and, then I looked at some of the math stuff and I think I found it because my dad was looking into kind of some health and stuff. He was reading around that uh, topic and just kind of in terms of uh, just kind of healthy living and that kind of thing. And so I did it and tried it and I thought, hey, I've got nothing to lose. I'll try it for a kind of a season. And if it's terrible, then I know right, I go back to smashing myself around a track for a bit. And so committed to it. And uh, it was very difficult at first because before I was trying to do like easy runs and stuff. And I was like, that was not, not like a t top athlete already, but I was just kind of doing easy runs and I was like, well, I wouldn't do it too much slower than kind of half marathon pace. That seems like an easy run and just kind of guessing. And so I was trying to get like the first kind of goal getting into stuff was like a sub 130 half marathon or something. And so I did like, so an easy run would be like 7.30 minutes a mile, whereas 6.52 is a, uh, 652 a mile is a, I can't, I can't do that in kilometers yet. <laughs> but um, yeah, 6.52 is a, is a 130, uh, 1.30 half. And so, like I was doing an easy run at 7.30 then I started doing math stuff and a math heart rate and I was doing like, my first run was like two miles at nine minutes a mile. And I was like, and I'd done triathlon for like two, three years at this point. And I was like, this is kind of things like, oh, it's a bit embarrassing to put on Strava. I can't put that on there. And it was kind of like, now commit to it and just see what happens and uh, kind of trust the process and see what happens and uh, progressed over it. Like, yeah, so first month things like slowly came down, slowly came down, kind of really just working out what, uh, things I was doing diet wise and trying to cut out different things. And the more you read about it, it's kind of like, it's really interesting kind of, uh, yeah, just not cutting out cereals from the diet and stuff. Cause you realize like, Oh, it's just, Oh, it's just a carbohydrate. But it's like, it's just, a, it's just sugar. And then you see like putting like people like putting sugar on top of cornflakes. It's like, you're just adding sugar to sugar. And, and, you, but, and even though I couldn't do some of the math stuff on the trip, uh, you could apply some principles in terms of what food you're eating. And so, um, even if it was a kind of terrible, very fatty food, you can find a lot of like very a lot of fat in like a, a an egg McMuffin, a McDonald's kind of thing. Mm. And so like people in back in Europe, and if I was staying with nice people, they'd kind of maybe give me cereal, and I'd have to stop within an hour because I was getting hungry. Whereas if I like had a McDonald's and had a couple of like uh, egg McMuffins or whatever, mm. uh, I could ride for like four hours, and I was feeling a lot better just because I'd eaten that much more. I describe it to say having that much more fat in my diet, and so I was like, you could go for a lot longer and a lot easier um but yeah and that's how i kind of got into it and then i was uh riding up australia and saw you tweeting or was kind of sending some kind of article out and i was like hey let's um yeah i was just like well can't lose anything so i just uh i sent you a message and uh you're kind enough to reply yeah. i was uh yeah it was quite funny um yeah i expect i fully was fully expecting a like seen and not replied and i was like you must get random <laughs> kind of like fans like messaging all the time so i ignored it uh, i was i thought yeah do it and see what happens and then go back to me and I was like oh all right pretty cool and then uh yeah but as you said that's that was a big part of the journey was forcing yourself to engage with more people exactly yes part of it and uh yeah and, and that's part of it trying to it's beyond the physical challenge of it or I guess it's twinning that when you're tired and don't want to converse and you don't want to talk to people it's kind of forcing you to go and do that and especially if you like uh through things like couch serving if pe people are nice enough to uh like host you and stuff if you're tired you've got to 
it's the challenge of actually being sociable and actually easy to talk to you when you're knackered after like 200, 300k day. And you thought, I just want to go to sleep. And, but you're kind of like, these people have been nice enough to, to chat to me. And it's, it was, a, it's just a brilliant opportunity to, uh, to kind of almost study people cross-culturally <laughs> and yeah. see what people are like. Cause my first degree was in psychology. And so I find that kind of the whole behavior aspect of it interesting. And then how that changes between cultures and then based on my political systems and what people do and what they value. And, uh so that was part of the whole fun trip for me but um yeah it was good fun like and especially like learning from you and jamie and what you guys are up to uh over in Nusa, it was quite good fun and uh yeah well we're nice part of the world to stay for a few days yeah we were, we were very lucky that you did messages because then we met and then as i said it's been epic following your journey around yeah. the world um one of the things you mentioned since you've gotten back is that you you've got to ease back into running. So you're not going off sure. to do a triathlon like next week because yeah. you haven't done a lot of weight bearing exercise for a year and yeah. the poor diet wouldn't help your bone strength either. Um, no, I can't, I can't imagine it would. No. Need a bit more protein and a bit more yeah. um, impact. So yes. any other, any other like besides that getting home and recognizing that what other physiological aspects of you did you notice during the ride or or since well yeah i, well, I just i noticed how much because i was, wasn't walking around as much as i normally would do or wasn't running or anything uh just the way just how tight my muscles would get in certain kind of certain angles so for some reason like in certain positions and so because i was just cycling all the time my legs are kind of just getting doing that for eight hours and then maybe maximum walking for maybe half an hour in a day and so you're not really doing that much like just the physiologically the way you're standing and the way you're kind of the the stress you're putting on different muscles you're not uh using them how you normally would and so i had uh for whatever reason i think i was waiting for like new parts to arrive and i was on the black sea in georgia um and so i was waiting around there for like maybe nine days and the first two days of waiting around after doing like a whole kind of stretch across the caucasus from azerbaijan it was like my legs didn't like walking because i hadn't uh I hadn't been walking around and so i was getting kind of like achy knees and stuff just walking around and so i had to be quite careful about how much i was i was walking but then spent that time kind of stretching that week so i had some time off and was uh just stretching trying to get in a good position but then when i got back on the bike i was getting achy knees then i hadn't changed my clink position i hadn't changed my shoes or anything but just because of the way that my body basically putting weight on my on my legs and knees and stuff and so i'm getting to back into stretching and so i'm being very very cautious very very careful because like you said, I'm very prone to getting stress fractures because I haven't done any weight bearing exercise in basically a year. Um, and so I've got to be very careful with that kind of stuff. And I've, I've other times after other trips, I've kind of jumped back into things too early because like, I don't like lying in bed and I like to get up and do stuff. And so having to kind of sit around is more difficult, but that's, I guess, another part of the challenge <laughs> so i've done basically for the last two weeks kind of mentally and kind of physically checked out and just done kind of whatever um and eaten whatever but now it's kind of getting back into it because i knew that i'd be mentally and physically more fatigued than i would know and have i not kind of set aside like you have to do nothing for two weeks kind of thing it's like one day i just kind of shut myself in my room and was like don't go outside just sit in your room and <laughs> force myself to sleep because i yeah, otherwise i'd get up and go and do stuff so uh yeah and so now it's just kind of a case of getting back into stretching and kind of doing some kind of light weights, kind of like kind of things like squats and stuff, trying to get some, just a bit of weight in the legs and went for a kind of little walk this morning. Um, just trying to get up and about and doing stuff. Um, and lots so, of, yeah. um, you know, roast dinners cooked by mom and exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll be over home for like another 10 days before I go off to university, but I find 
So when I was at university before, I wasn't doing as much of the math stuff. And so it's been slightly uh, difficult at home because not, not everyone does kind of the same sort of diet thing. Uh, and so uh, I'm looking forward to getting back to university because when there's like stacks of chocolate in the fridge and stuff like that, it's quite difficult to avoid it. Um, but Especially when, when you feel myself, like you've just ridden around exactly. the world. And- yeah, exactly. So I'm quite looking forward to getting to university and doing my own shopping and picking up that kind of stuff. And because then you don't just don't buy the stuff and then you're not tempted to buy it. And so um and also to eat it and things so that's i'm looking forward to that and i'll kind of do yeah did you get back to it and your sweet tooth you've kind of gotten over it like you've had so much of that convenience food yeah um that you're no longer going to crave it or do you think your sweet tooth has actually gotten so strong that you are craving it (laughs) oh i don't know i mean (laughs) i was pretty snicker uh, sick of snickers bars by the end of it and mars bars i was just like like having well, I was having them kind of the last few days across France, and I was like, oh, I'm so done with this. And having like warm coke after it's been in the bottom of your bag for for most of the day, I was like, okay, I don't need this anymore. And so I don't think I've had coke since I've got back, which is, or maybe I've had maybe a can of coke, but like compared to what I was having, because it's like, yeah, like I said, so much of the trip is not getting sick, so that ends up being. Uh, because you're away from home and you're kind of by yourself and a lot of places across Asia and stuff, because it's about 10,000 miles or 16,000 kilometers across Asia, just get on again over half the trip. Uh, and so most places don't have access to a kind of a proper toilet, it's just a hole in the ground. Mm-hmm. And so you don't want to be caught out in the middle of nowhere sick and you're kind of, yeah, um, like stuff like and- one pair of bike shorts, you can't risk uh, any stomach problems. So you kind of have to like, I was being super careful with uh, what I was eating and stuff and trying to eat stuff I was familiar with. And that's why I ended up drinking so much Coke because part of it does, well, I feel as though maybe um, or people recommended to me that it doesn't, it stops you getting sick because you just kill some of the bugs off. Yeah. And so, um, and it's safe, far too much, but safe calorie. And you just wanted calories yeah. as well. Safe, cheap exactly. calories. It just ticked every yeah. box. Exactly. So it, it keeps you going. And like, yeah, it was, there were just, times off the bike i just felt so and i feel now so unhealthy compared to where i was uh before i left so like before i left i did uh the 70.3 european championships uh in denmark and really enjoyed that and that was kind of felt like super healthy for that and uh the training had been really good and i'd done like pretty pretty smooth year and then coming back after this people i was just like oh man i need to get back to fitness i feel so unhealthy and so lethargic and people were like you just biked around the world you must be really healthy and fit and i was like i can go very very slowly all day but that gen i would say that if you can ride 100 kilometers you can ride 200 you can ride 300 it becomes a mental challenge after after the physical bit to get you over the first kind of few hours then it becomes mental and it's just a case of putting food in and carry on going really and yeah and it's just mentally breaking it down it's the mental challenge that becomes more difficult beyond 100 kilometers it doesn't like physically if you're not going quickly you're just pushing the pedals it's just like case of mentally staying focused really yeah um but i imagine that got pretty easy for you you were you weren't really looking at like oh i've ridden 100 kilometers and i've got 100 to go i imagine it wasn't yeah. mentally that tough just to put in the kilometers if it was fairly easy riding except if there was a horrible headwind or something well because the, the direction around the world i went it was a majority uh, headwind um so there were times like that that were difficult and because I wasn't racing around the world, I took quite a lot of kind of kit. And so I was carrying my little laptop with me and that kind of thing. And so up the hills, you're sitting there kind of like 
in Vietnam and stuff, it's going up and down all day and it's so hot and humid and you're kind of, oh, why am I carrying so much stuff? And you're just barely getting up the hills and it's like, and some places there's, so I took, in Vietnam, I was on some kind of, uh, there's a, the main highway that goes down the coast and then you've got the, what's called the Ho Chi Minh Road, which goes up the mountains kind of by the Cambodia and Laos border. And it's pretty quiet and pretty rural in places. And so you're kind of dragging yourself up the hill and don't want to carry too much food and too much weight. And that becomes mentally quite difficult because you are by yourself and there's not necessarily an option to stock up on food. And the roads are awful and you don't know what animals are about. So that's becomes a, yeah, becomes a fun little challenge. And that becomes, that mentally plays on your mind when like in the UK, we're pretty, pretty lucky in the sense that we've got no real predators to worry about. And the weather's not that extreme and, like yeah it rains a lot but we don't get that like the temperatures aren't that high and we never get too cold a winter we don't have snakes we don't really have spiders and so we have some snakes but they're like really lame ones <laughs> and so yeah so places in like the, in the states when i was camping out and uh like an animal started attacking the outside of my tent like it ended up just being a little cat but i didn't know that at the time i didn't know what it was someone was just playing around with the tent and like putting paws all over it and i was trying to sleep and it's a tiny one-man tent and it's the unknown that kind of gets to you, I think. Um, and so it's not knowing when you're going to be or not knowing where you're going to stay. And in places where it's not wise to camp out, that's when you start kind of getting the mental stuff. But it's kind of like you realize you can only control what you control and everything else will kind of, will in a sense, work itself out. So you can plan as best you can and make kind of contingency kind of plans. But yeah, you don't know when the wind's going to stop or the wind's going to turn or whatever. So you've just got to, focus on what you can control and what you can do. And that's kind of the fun of the bike trip because it teaches you to take personal responsibility for what you can do. And it's on, on you to get yourself from A to B each day. There's no one else who's going to do it for you. It's only you. So you can get like yelling at the wind because you've been pedaling into a headwind for 10 hours, but then you just go like, okay, well, this isn't helping. Just things could be worse. And that was part of the fun on so the Instagram story doing the daily gratitude stuff. Um, so yeah, people weren't following along. A, you missed out, and B, uh, highlights are available. No, okay. Um, no, they yeah, are, so they're there, doing, and they're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, uh, yeah, it's just doing daily gratitude to trying to find like three things each day that I could be grateful for. And even in days, you realize that there are so many things you can be grateful for, like piling into a headwind for 12 hours. And it's like, well, I'm grateful I didn't get a puncture, or I'm grateful that it wasn't, it was a direct headwind, not a crosswind, because I was been blown underneath the truck all day that would have been happening all day or like grateful it's been tarmac and it's not off-road or grateful i've still got food and water or like there's a city ahead so i can find somewhere to stay or like one day i think my three were just like grateful i'm not getting shot at i'm grateful that i don't have to like go to a well to find water and i'm grateful that i'm kind of in a sense doing this voluntarily and no one's forcing me to do this and it's still like yeah there's just it just changes your perspective on things i think yeah i've really gotten into a lot about the just that sense of being feeling gratitude brings you into mm. the moment and suddenly yeah so that's um a big part of it and i guess all the big gurus that are leaders in that kind of world are all yeah. kind of saying all you need to do is do a bit of daily gratitude in the morning and that sets you up for being in the yeah. moment and the more often you can practice being in the moment the easier it becomes to get yeah. back into the moment when your mind starts to think about worries and future and past crap and all of that mm. stuff. So it's an amazing, so for that daily thing, I think everybody yeah. could take that away that they just have to at some point once during the day, 
be present in the moment and yeah. a daily gratitude is a very easy way of doing that. For sure. Because I think if you realize how much you have and being how much you have to be grateful for, then you realize how much you can then give. So whether that's putting out kind of a physical performance or whether how much you can like, help other people in your community or help out your family or whatever. And so for me, like the trip was a heck of a lot of good, like, it was so much fun, but it's a learning experience that I can then re-enroll into what I'm doing day to day back home. Um, I'm not the kind of person who wants to just go live in the woods and by myself and live that kind of adventure. Like I do it as a learning experience as something to, um, to challenge me and kind of strip away all the kind of social structure around me. So when I get home and kind of learn about more who I am and who people are kind of individually, when you're kind of riding with people or meeting other people and seeing how other cultures work and what's kind of cultural and what's individual and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and working out more about people and understanding kind of behavior in a sense, like, Kind of, yeah going back to my interest in psychology and people and that kind of stuff and so uh then it's a case of once you learn that getting home and then re-enrolling that to add value to other people and then share that uh and once you recognize how yeah as i said recognizing how much you have you recognize how much you can give or how much maybe you should be giving um when i was getting helped out by people in like malaysia like no running water and no bathroom or whatever but they were kind of some person um let me sleep in their cafe and they kind of there's a little bed in there they were like oh, feel free like you like just stay here and like we're back in the morning kind of thing and it's like that's such a nice gesture from someone who kind of compared to people maybe in kind of kind of more of a developed society or uh, like people around surrey and london around here it's like you look at that and say like oh man like you haven't got a toilet you haven't got kind of running water like then they're, they're sitting there trying to give and they're trying to help because they know that they they can do and you kind of get home and you're like, man, what should I be doing <laughs> to help so other people, you know? So not exactly like in terms of what you're doing or, or tell us if there is something you've already achieved in two weeks, but back to the mindset stuff, have you mm. found yourself trying to do a little bit of gratefulness and to be in the moment to keep that up and yeah. gotten home? For sure, yeah. I haven't been, um, yeah, so I haven't been doing as much on Instagram just because I wanted to make sure that, I wasn't kind of t- doing Instagram every day, like turning it into an identity and turn that into like, that's who I am. Cause that's not, and you don't want to end up, I don't want to say playing a character, but it's kind of a, yeah, you want to just make sure that kind of your, what I'm putting out there didn't cost me anything. And so uh, it was a good opportunity to share it, but my entire life is not driven by what makes a good Instagram kind of thing. And I wanted to make sure that wasn't kind of becoming an, a, a, a not an addiction, but like a, something that I really kind of, I needed almost. And so I was, uh, yeah, making sure I basically kind of reduced what I've been doing kind of the last couple of weeks on Instagram to really make sure that that's kind of not something I'm too, uh, yeah, too kind of, too fixated on. And so now that I'm back uh, and kind of had a couple of weeks of, uh, yeah, doing less stuff online, I'm really, I'm still doing things to be grateful for uh, and still kind of reading and still listening to some of the same podcasts and stuff, but um, I'm not, uh, but yeah, I'm just not doing it necessarily as, uh, as, as like I was on Instagram before. Um, I yeah. might come back and do it in a, when I get back to doing triathlon training in a little bit, but, uh, yeah, for now it's, uh, yeah, you've got to keep doing that and you've got to keep remembering where you are, especially when I'm home now and the progress isn't as easy to see. Cause like on the trip, you can say at each, at the end of each day, you go like, I cycle from here to here and you can see that kind of geographically on a map once you get home and it's like, I sent five emails today and. I didn't get any responses kind of thing. And it's like, I'll kind of close that book tomorrow, close that chapter tomorrow. And so 
you've got to look harder for the progress. Like, I, so on the trip, things are like, so what you have to do is like, you know what the task is. And so it's kind of, uh, it's simple, but difficult. Whereas when you get home, things are complicated, but easy. Cause there are more, like there's so many things to do, but e doing each one, like sending an email isn't difficult. Kind of, you know what you have to do or like looking at your tax return or whatever is like, it's relatively simple to do, but it's just so many things to manage and so many steps to it that it becomes complicated. Um, whereas the trip is, yeah, you've kind of got, it's a difficult thing to do is like psych up a mountain, but like it's simple because you know, you have to like, yeah. And that's kind of how I've kind of started to look at it getting home. You just got to realize that, just got to focus on a job, kind of tick it off, do it, and then move on to the next thing. Because I found myself just jumping between different projects, different tasks. I got home and had a year worth of letters and envelopes and uh, things from like thank statements and everything. So going through all that and yeah, all the fun stuff getting home. Um, so it wasn't quite an easy transition to into home life, but you've got to, I think, just work through it and uh, see the progress. In a, you've got to look at it in a, in a different way. So it's not as, not as simple maybe as looking on a map and going oh i did 200 kilometers today it's like okay i did this and that's part of the send an email and that's part of the process and getting this done or whatever and so it becomes more difficult to find it but it's still there um yeah what i yeah. i can't wrap my head around I mean, one of the things that i think would have been the hardest thing to do is mm -hmm. you arrive somewhere the sun is set and then you've got to find somewhere to set up your tent or somewhere to yeah. stay for the night and you're yeah. exhausted you've also got to find some food um, yeah. water um you're in really stinky sweaty salty <laughs> yeah. clothes um just tell us about the logistics of arriving in salty you know clothes um finding somewhere yeah. to stay when you're exhausted and then you do all your instagram uploading uh, which you did yeah. an amazing job of when we just were talking you were talking about it before i've got to say like there must be some possible future in tv presenting or something for you <laughs> it was so you get great a gig out in australia large yeah. queensland tv maybe well everyone that all my friends and family that i told about them about you they all followed you and they'd all be like you know frothing on it they were all like oh did you see what david did today <laughs> frothing on it okay yeah it. <laughs> so that was um well, i apologize for wasting so much of your family's time <laughs> <laughs> so it really yeah. was awesome so maybe there's a job in that for you in the future uh, somewhere we'll, we'll see i don't yeah, know tell us about the logistics of that and how how was that one of the toughest things of the whole trip when you're tired and trying to find food drink water clean up a yeah bit? and i yeah i think that is that's the uh the thing you realize you value when when you're away is kind of just having a home to go to and like a few places where i just didn't um because I would try and avoid paying for accommodation where I can, because that's just such a big cost that really kind of uh, just yeah ruins your trip budget. And had I been paying for accommodation every night, I wouldn't have got further than America. So um, I, was, I was fortunate enough to get from Lisbon to, to Vietnam without paying for accommodation. Um, so part of it becomes, it becomes a fun challenge to try and find somewhere. Um, but it, that's, it does become difficult. And that's the thing that kind of played on my mind more was knowing that I, like, if I didn't have anywhere to stay um, and you can kind of food wise and getting water and stuff, you can kind of plan it and know roughly uh, like, where is it going to be a food stop? Where's a petrol station or whatever. Um, and so I, I'd always carry some emergency foods. I always had like, a couple tins of tuna, um, like tuna fish, because that's like pretty good protein. And often it's in like sunflower oil or something. And so you're all a bit, some kind of oil or something. So it's got like 
bit of fat in there for another best stuff you could have but it's like it's something um and better than coke so like and yeah so uh i would do that and that was so that i tried to do that food wise and just trying to look on the map ahead um but setting up a tent and stuff and trying to find anywhere just to camp out like in places across china like the farmers start work at like 4 30 in the morning and then they don't leave until like just the sunset and so uh because china's all on one time zone so the further kind of west you go like it's not sun's not going down till like 10 30 and so but the farmers are still working at 4 a.m getting up at four to come into work and so trying to camp out on like find some space on a farm somewhere trying to you got to wait until these people go away and then it's kind of a case of then trying to set up your tent when it's dark and then making sure you're not like camping out on snakes or other animals around and that kind of thing and then just making sure you are kind of fed enough and hydrated enough and that was the biggest thing that i felt more than uh kind of what food i was eating necessarily because I knew I wasn't eating brilliantly. It was more hydration. And I'd really felt the next day if I hadn't had enough water or I hadn't finished the day. Um, but when it was colder and the temperatures were colder, I just didn't, wasn't as thirsty. And so I wouldn't drink and I was kind of, I'd forget to drink and stuff. And so I think I did, the day I went by the Grand Canyon in the States, it was like November, it was about thanks, around Thanksgiving time. So I did quite, it was like 230 kilometers a day or something. It was quite a big day. And you're quite high altitude up the Grand Canyon. It's like, 8,000 feet or 2,000, just under 2,000 meters or something. So it's quite high, if I can recall. Um, but I think I had maybe just over a liter of water, 11 hours, maybe 12 hours of riding. So like, it was cold. It was like just above freezing. And then once the sun goes down, it's below freezing and there's snow about and stuff. But I really didn't drink enough. And the next day, I just felt so awful just because I just had hardly any water. And that was a bigger thing that I felt more than nutrition necessarily. Um, and I think doing the math over the few years, after the last few years has helped in terms of like having a baseline of being able to burn fat a bit more for energy. Because there was times I was just able to go for like six hours without stopping for food and just keep pushing. Um, but yeah, like you said, yeah, not having anywhere to stay, that was the biggest kind of, that was the more the biggest worry kind of thing. So would Especially you- when I got family back home kind of going like, oh, like just like, because their priorities get me home safely. Um, and so, so I'll just get a hotel, find somewhere to stay. Like, oh, like it's just one night, whatever. And it's kind of like, I can't do that every night. And so and that's part of the fun of doing the trip on a, on a budget is that you have to push yourself and camp out like underneath a motorway or like whatever, or just in a bush at the side of the road kind of thing. And or like in Salzburg, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to pay for like a, it was like a hundred euros or something for a, for a hotel. Um, and so I just, yeah, and I think it's illegal to wild camp in Austria, so I definitely didn't wild camp in Austria. Um, but <laughs> I think there I was, tried. <laughs> yeah, there was a there was an overgrown, uh, yeah, there was an overgrown like garden behind some disused hotel kind of thing. So I may have or may not have slept behind there for a few hours, um, and then just got yeah, up and watched watch the sunrise over Salzburg in the morning. So yeah. Yeah. I found some illegal places, I think, um, that were probably illegal when I, I leased a Peugeot little hatchback in about 2005 or something. And um, yeah. Yeah, just went around Europe for about two or three months and mm-hmm. had a tent. And yeah, I, would, I was doing what you were doing, but with a car. <laughs> just sleep in the car, yeah. Well, no, I would put the tent up. I'd <laughs> pitch the tent in cheap places, like, in free places, yeah. like, you know, yeah. behind a little shrub and off the back of someone's paddock. Um, and I would just get a bottle of water and I'd stand there and basically give myself a shower with a bottle of water. Um, yeah. And then I'd get in the tent. But I had a lot more 
resources than you did because I had yeah. a car. So what were you yeah. doing for like kind of cleaning your, your baby wipes? Your- baby wipes is the uh, is the, the dry shower. Um, right. Yeah, because like, like you were saying, like like salt is the big thing because you one set of biking gear and so like you don't get the salt off, you'll get a saddle sore almost immediately. <laughs> and so, uh, and that's the thing because you get a bad saddle sore, like, sometimes you can get unrideable. Um, I was fortunate enough that I was kind of aware of other people who've had really bad saddle sores and doing races and stuff when you can't stop but um yeah i was fortunate enough i didn't have too many bad ones there are a few bad ones but actually i met a very very nice couple in, in arkansas in the states and um like uh they've done some like tandem tours together and they said like one of them's a nurse she was like oh well, we use like bed sore cream for like kind of patients who can't get out of bed because effectively it's like one kind of bit of kind of skin like it doesn't really move around that much and it's kind of like for in bed sore that's what bed sore happen that's how they happen and so if you have a cream that kind of stops bed sores she was like well, why wouldn't it work on saddle sores and i was like mm, fair enough and it's actually really good um i can't remember what it's called they just gave it to me in some good little yellow tub thing but um yeah really useful so that was really good so, so were I you putting fortunate enough to get wet were you putting wet cycle kit back on in the morning then after you've rinsed it out the night before uh yeah sometimes it was mainly just uh kind of using baby wipes uh on particularly kind of areas that would be how do I say uh, a lot of friction let's say that <laughs> and so otherwise it was just uh like jersey and stuff like if I had extra water and spare water I'd get rid I'd, I'd rinse it um but often it was just putting on a disgusting horrible jersey the next day um so as well as when you turn up the next morning and you're kind of looking all bedraggled because you haven't showered and you're covered in salt and it's like going to a supermarket or something if you find somewhere like especially in Europe um like you look particularly out of place and you've got like a scraggly beard and haven't showered and it's kind of like sorry and it's like uh, walking around and yeah <laughs> it was interesting but yeah baby wipes were were very very useful um and so I'd have them all the time and like just trying to like just for just general cleaning like washing your hands if you haven't got like running water or soap or anything you can kind of clean your hands a little bit before you eat um or when you get and finish the day just kind of wiping off all the dust and kind of smog and stuff from all the roads and uh yeah and then cleaning particularly affected areas and yeah so can't imagine um <laughs> gosh and for everyone else like myself who hasn't done any long touring yeah what what would you do differently? Like what advice would you give to someone doing a tour or if you were going to start the whole thing over again, is there something you would take or a piece of advice that you would, um, could have really used at the start? Mm. Oh, good question. It's difficult because I, I, yeah, I enjoyed it so much because it was like, every day was such a new challenge and a new adventure and you're learning so many things um i'd say just for advice for a new tour just make sure you get waterproof bags and that's the big thing because if it starts like if it's raining and your bags aren't fully waterproof you're just such a big stress and a big such a big uh mentally like so mentally draining because then it becomes if you don't like if your bags aren't getting wet so one of my uh so one of my bags by the end of it started to have a little, little bit of a hole in it. And that was so when if it really rained, I'd find like a little bit of pool of water at the bottom. Um, and if you don't get rid of that, but kind of, if you don't get rid of the water, then that just ruins all your stuff. And if you're camping out and things and you've got like either wet 
kit because you have to dry it out or you haven't got much space in a one-man tent but if you have to uh, dry it out or whatever then you're just getting kind of like because you leave it outside it'll get kind of like dew on it and stuff and so it'll get even worse and so you leave it inside the tent and then you've basically got something really damp in the tent and then you're going to get like some kind of infection or something because you're just breathing in like damp and wet stuff and so you're going to get sick from that and so it becomes quite a difficult that becomes such a big mental stressor if it starts raining and you know your stuff's not dry and so i'd say often the really good waterproof bags are more expensive but you buy it once and you can, you can use it forever whereas you buy i've tried buying cheaper bags before and they just weren't anywhere near as good and so um yeah i was pleased about that what would i do differently maybe leave a month earlier and wouldn't go or wouldn't hit America in the winter. Uh, and so I, that, I knew that was the only kind of one uh, kind of weather thing I was going to be worried about. I was getting across America before it got too cold. So I hit Los Angeles in December, but that meant I was kind of Flagstaff, Arizona, end of November around Thanksgiving time. So I had one day of snow and I hit negative 14 like Celsius. And I had a few days camping out and got negative 10, negative 12. So like it got cold. But I also learned that you can't trust anyone uh, who, uh, like, unless they're talking about giving you advice on their road, on like the little village they live in, they haven't got a clue. Is my is my is my take <laughs> from it? Like people in like in upstate New York and stuff are saying, "Oh man, are oh, you not going to cross the Rockies this time of year, October, November? You have to you have to go south. That's going to hit the desert. Will be perfect time of year. It'll be nice and be good temperature. Won't be too hot. It'll be perfect." And I got down to the desert and. Uh, like negative five and negative 10 during the night and like ice in my tent in in texas and it was like and everyone like everyone else and would think oh texas nice and warm and new mexico really hot and then i got to new mexico and i was in a uh leaving a mcdonald's and a bunch of people were like yeah we're gonna get hit pretty hard by snow so you might want to bed down here and i was like nah i'll be all right and stepped outside and it started snowing and i was like oh good idea and it really like hammered it down with snow and so uh it was a good job i stopped um but it was like, but I said to these people, is that quite rare? I was like, New Mexico sure doesn't get that much snow. And they were like, yeah, this is pretty standard. Like it's late, the snow's late this year. And I was like, oh, right. So I've, uh, yeah, I've, I was pretty lucky to get across where I did. Um, but the problem with that in like places in New Mexico and Texas, they they like plow all the snow into the into the hard shoulder, into the shoulder of the side of the road. And if parts, you have to ride the interstate in, because there's just no roads. And so you have to ride the interstate and that's where all the snow is then in the shoulder and so then you're underneath the truck riding in the main lanes uh on the highway on the interstate which is less than ideal but um yeah that was a fundamental stress like or in china getting trucks then the rate of construction in china is a joke it's like ten thousand kilometers of new highways a year which is like 27 kilometers a day or something silly across the whole country and some of those photos that you put up of china are just unbelievable and there was a couple of other countries that i've never even heard of (laughs) eight lane highways with not a single car on. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Myanmar is, uh, yeah, the new capital in Napidor is an interesting place to go to. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, they've got like, yeah, 10 lanes either way on the highway outside the, I think it's the government building there. Um, I think part of the idea is that if there's a big protest, they can land a plane on there and get the <laughs> president or prime minister or whatever out of the country. But yeah, the area for, for Napidor is seven times the size of Greater London. So 10 million people in Greater London. And Napidor claims 2 million, but I think it's actually like a couple hundred thousand. It's a very, very strange place to go to. Very interesting, but um, yeah, very uh, say interesting country, I'll say that. Um, and another question about your logistics and things. You must have carried a lot of battery packs and things because you had a yeah. GPS tracker. So 
your yep. fa- friends and family could track you yeah. every every minute of every day. They could see exactly yeah. where you were. So that, that, that was a blessing and a curse, I think. <laughs> um, you had music going on podcasts the whole time. You had your phone for maps. Um, yep. And so you had to carry these backup batteries as well so that obviously yes. when you're camping in the middle of nowhere, was there yep. any point where everything just died and you, ha- and you lost all power or... I got pretty close to it a couple of times. Um, yeah, which was, so I, uh, a few times, I think a few times in China, just because when it was really cold, like if you got cold, like my battery pack would just drain kind of immediately. And so I learned kind of the more difficult way because I was like, oh, so I woke up in the morning and had like my, so I was carrying, uh, I think I was carrying three battery packs because I didn't want to use a dynamo hub because I was, uh, I was kind of, semi-sponsored a bike for the trip and so but i've got to give it back so i was going to loan the bike for the year and so i couldn't start playing around with the hubs on the wheels and stuff and so couldn't get a dynamo for people that don't and know gets dynamo gone. basically is like a little yeah um uh you you say it, it I've, I've gone blank it's like it looks like they, they put resistance in in, in the in, in the hub so basically it charges it takes kind of some of the i guess the forward motion um here a whole bunch of people spins another little motor that generates electricity and Kind of, yeah. It basically yeah. just takes some of the power from your what you're pedaling and put you're pushing through the wheels, and it stores it and uses it to charge stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, that, I, I would annoy me too much because it's only like people say it's only like oh maybe five watts or two watts resistance kind of thing. But that would that would annoy me. I think um, knowing going up a hill is going oh it's because the dynamo. That's why I'm going so slowly, not because I've been eating junk for six months. It's because this dynamo <laughs> is slowing me down. That's what it is. Um, but yeah, and so I had these battery packs which. They're weighty, but it meant I could do maybe like four or five days kind of between uh, like uh, accommodation and paying for stuff. So, oh, wow. Um, four or five days is pretty, pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, they're pretty big battery packs. So they were relatively weighty. Um, I don't think I've got one around within arm's reach, but yeah, they were, uh, <laughs> it was useful um, to have. And yeah, and the rate my kind of uh, my old iPhone was dying, I was having to charge it up kind of like. Just basically leave it on charge all day, um, just because doing videos and Instagram and mapping and everything, and uh, yeah, that became yeah, that was quite and, a big drain on the battery. But. I couldn't believe that you were managing to get, like, basically you were able to get data in every country you went to, and if if you weren't doing Instagram and you weren't yeah. trying to get data. I mean, I feel like you could have probably done the trip in about half the time if you weren't <laughs> stopping for photos and video and yeah, yeah, yeah. data packs. Um, but that that was a big part of meeting friendly people as soon as you crossed a yes. border you were yeah. then having to chat to the local people to find out currents get currency and sure. get data thing so tell yeah. us about that i mean well firstly data jeez but <laughs> <laughs> um no but uh yeah it was the rate at which kind of travel and things have developed um in that front that you can find data in quite a lot of places and it is uh, relatively cheap to do so. So, like in Kyrgyzstan, it was, it was like four gigabytes of data for a pound. So, what's that? Two two Australian dollars? Yeah. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty cheap. Um, and it turned out that, that I bought one SIM and they put it in my phone, and it didn't work. Whatever. So, I they were like, I was going to buy another one. They were like, Oh, we can we can change it for you. And it's like it's a pound. Like, just don't worry about it. Just give me a new one, kind of thing. And yeah, but. Yeah, you can get that kind of stuff relatively easily, but that was just kind of the fun of it and uh, to kind of document the trip and everything because I wanted it for my own personal record as well. 
um, of the Instagram videos and all the videos and stuff and uh, just finding out places to stay or kind of roads and things. And like having data is so useful. Uh, and so, yeah, it was the case of having to go and ask local people and kind of gesture what you need and things. And a lot of the places there are kind of like scammy ones that aren't real kind of like Sims or whatever. And so you've got to be quite careful or a lot of places across Central Asia, I couldn't find like official uh, like exchange currency exchange places. And so it's just people standing at the border with a stack of money and they're just going to be across the board and there's like money, money, money. And it's like, I don't know what your currency looks like. So you could be giving me like money from a board game here and I haven't got a clue. And, but as soon as you stop and just be like, okay, like, okay, I will exchange money with you. Um, Cause once you get away from the border in some places, you're absolutely like toast. You're never going to find like trying to change Albanian lek outside of Albania. No one wants to touch it. Um, no one wants to touch it inside of Albania. Everyone wants to use euros and dollars and stuff. So um, it becomes quite interesting. And so like, yeah, like Central Asia and stuff, you're changing currency and, people come up to you and just want to get money from you and stuff. And it's like, I've got no idea what your, what your currency looks like. And so you're, you get your, they say, how much money have you got? And I was like, you end up getting like, I think it was maybe what, 60, 60 pounds, what, 120 Australians, like a million Uzbeki sum or something. <laughs> and so you're kind of like, and so this guy gets a massive, massive wad of cash and he goes, how much like Kyrgyz sum do you have? And I was like, 400,000 maybe. And you're trying to exchange it. And it's like trying to a, check what his exchange rate is but then because i'm sitting there with my bike and everything's like detachable and got all my lights and everything on it and then as soon as i talk to one person you're a tourist and on a bike you look pretty like part of like being on a bike you look different and so people do want to help you out because i'm like what on earth are you doing you crazy person um but then you it becomes more difficult to kind of be discreet and so you cross the border and as soon as you stop and talk to someone trying to get some of the local currency and you've got like 10 people around you like in a circle and they're just looking at you and your wallet and I'm sitting there so aware of all the bags and all the stuff I've got in my back of my jersey pockets. And it's like, oh my goodness, I've got to watch like a thousand things at once. Because um, yeah. it'd be that's so easy for one of them. Just, batteries yeah, one thing just like, just like take the lights off or like just like slip a bag off and not really notice and take my kind of take something out of my back pocket. And it's kind of, yeah, there's a lot of things to, to manage. But, but then I, I was fortunate enough that people would, were nice enough to me. But yeah. And then one of the highlights that looked like through central asia um yeah you were in a road along a road in the middle of nowhere and then you ended up in a, like a little yurt was it with yeah. a little family um yeah you know you couldn't speak a word of english and um or they couldn't no. speak a word of english but they took you in for a little while and you, you've got these amazing pictures of these little kids wearing yeah, like yeah, your, yeah. your helmet and stuff in a yurt. yeah that was that was really nice. So it's between two, like, like two, 3,200 meter passes. There's a little valley between it and it was pouring down with rain and it's not warm. <laughs> and so uh, I just didn't really want to get wet. And by that point, my waterproof jacket was not fully waterproof anymore. And so like, if you got cold, you're kind of getting pretty toast. And then if you get a cold, you get sick, that kind of ruins the next few days because <laughs> you're a feeling pretty miserable. You've got to stop cycling. And so, um, it was quite important not to get ill. And so I just saw these yurts kind of this big, massive valley. And I just kind of wheeled my bike over and started to pour with rain. And so I just kind of like gestured, do you mind if I like, shelter under here? And I was just kind of sheltering outside originally underneath kind of a little porchy bit. And then uh, they said, oh, I just like, pointed towards the inside of the tent. So I came and sat inside there. And then there was a little kid um, just playing around. So I like, picked up my helmet and started putting it on and wearing it. And then they came and gave me some bread and a drink and stuff. And then once the rain had subsided, um, 
like their kind of living really is they're just selling like I presume it's horse milk because there are just horses around all of Central Asia. That's pretty much what they do seems to be business wise. Like other kind of locals were just stopping and trying to buy like they basically had a bucket full of like like an old paint an old paint pot thing just full of like horse milk they had an old bottle of coke that they were just kind of dipping under filling it up and then just putting a new cap on it and just handing it to the guy and exchanging some money and so that was seemed to be what their business was um and they they'd had some bread presumably they made their own bread somehow um got a little oven outside i presume and then they gave me some and i was came to leave and i just uh i was like how much for the bread kind of thing and i'm trying to give them some money and they were like no don't worry about it it's fine i was like you don't need to be giving me like like it's so kind and it's like you're living in a tent here and you're just selling milk for a living and like you could quite easily expect someone to that point to see you as like a money pinata and just want to kind of sit there and just gonna like beat money out of you and just they could easily turn around and go yeah that's like i don't know two thousand some kind of thing and it's like whatever that is i forget now but it's like they could quite easily charge you some money and they were being so nice and so it was yeah kyrgyzstan at this point and so they were just so nice and they were just like no no don't worry about it and i was like no, like, I appreciate it, but, like, I want to help and I want to say thank you. And so um, I gave the kid the money because he was quite happy to take the money. But um, <laughs> the parents were like, no, don't worry about it. And I was like, you realise it's kind of like, yeah, just like growing up in Western Europe or kind of like kind of Western society, you're just like, man, like, how much do I have that I should be giving and helping out people? And even if it's not financially, just giving time or whatever, it's like, man, yeah, it's very, very humbling because it's like, man, I've... I don't deserve this charity kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a really nice experience. It was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Was that one of the, one of the highlights then? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's so difficult to pick out because so many things are kind of poignant for different reasons. Like seeing the Caspian sea after like 2000 kilometers of desert across Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, that was like such a big moment. Cause I knew that was the most difficult bit of the trip kind of logistically. Um, if you're like a couple hundred kilometers really between like anything uh and awful roads and so um getting there was like that was quite a, a high moment and then like uh a really nice family took me in for christmas in new zealand down in dunedin and uh we were sitting over christmas lunch and my uh, father was kind of like oh like you ever been in a small plane and i was like I mean, how small are we talking? And he's like, oh, I was like, used to be president of the local flying club. And so Christmas Day, like, went up on like a little uh, kind of micro light flight around Dunedin, which is awesome. Uh, so that yeah. was really good. Or like doing the bungee jump in New Zealand, um, going to do that. And but mainly, I did mainly it was just the charity and the help people would give me. And like me and you guys was awesome and good fun because like uh, having a poke around Noosa was really good. And uh, yeah, so it's just, I think mainly it was the people. Like, that sounds a bit maybe cliche to say, but there are some really beautiful places, but like just how kind people were uh, and wanting to be part of kind of the trip, wanting to be part of the adventure and wanting to help you out. And it's like, I'm just, I'm just mucking around on my bike, really. Like, I don't deserve this kind of thing. Um, so it's very, very humbling and very, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was good because you know when you're getting battered by a wind and how kind of, in a sense how fragile the human condition can be when you're getting kind of absolutely ruined by a, a wind and like or not making any progress or really struggling up a hill and just kind of just sweat is raining from your handlebars kind of thing in like when it's super humid in Myanmar or whatever and you're just struggling along and then someone wants to come and help you out and say like, oh it's really good what you're doing or like what are you up to and want to ask questions and it's kind of like man I'm just like yeah it's, it's very very humbling 
but then you realize that it's very encouraging at the same time. So it's a bit of a weird mix of that. Um, Cause yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's really good. I, yeah, it's difficult to sum up, but uh, oh, yeah, it's difficult for me to try and even comprehend. Yeah, because it's a kind yeah, of it was, it was, yeah, yeah, it was a whole year of basically just putting one foot in front of the other, and but people were so lovely and genuinely so kind that it's kind of it's incredibly humbling in one sense, but then equally empowering and encouraging because despite how uh, aware of your frailties and aware of your uh, Kind of immaturities or you're aware of your yeah kind of areas that you're weak in the sense mentally or physically um but you know that the fact that if with help and people around you and with kind of commitment to a single goal you can go a heck of a long way uh in whatever you're doing um and that's kind of yeah i guess the, the trip is a good metaphor for life in the sense that you've kind of you've got to take the responsibility for getting from a to b but um there are a lot of people around to help you um even when you are weak and fragile and not doing a very good job of moving. <laughs> did did you, I mean, you were already signed up, you are already off to medical school in Belfast. Yeah. Um, during the year, did you, did you come up with any other ideas for your future, for whether it's another adventure or whether it's another career or study or? I mean, I, I kind of want, before I was aware that I was, uh, to take the path and go and do medical school, like I was uh, doing some civil service stuff in the UK before. And so it was a lot easier than healthcare. Um, like it's pretty set kind of nine to five and I can leave work at, leave work at work, don't think about it when I get home. And uh, I've done a, I've did a few jobs between university and, and the trip, but it was, I got to the point where I was like, I think even just spending 40 hours a week doing a job, like, for me anyway, I got to the point where it's got to be something that I kind of feel as though what I feel called towards or what I feel is uh, that I want to do with my, how I want to serve with my life kind of thing. And it was got to the point where it's like, do you want something that's kind of an easy job that you can just kind of chill out and then do whatever you want outside of work or whether you want to go and do something that's kind of an essential mission uh, for lack of a better word. And I realized for me personally, spending 40 hours a week doing something that I wasn't particularly interested in was too much of the week even if it was easy and if it did pay the right, it's too much of my week just to kind of sack off and not be part of what I want to do, kind of a uh, bigger picture. And so I decided that A, medicine is what I wanted to go and do because that's the kind of stuff I want to learn about in terms of the health and nutrition and fitness and stuff. And there's a lot of areas I want to learn about that um, and all that kind of thing because you see just all over Twitter and all over kind of all these Netflix videos and stuff, you've got people kind of saying that, uh, oh yeah, just go fully keto and fully carnival. But you've got people saying like, oh, like going, geez, <laughs> headphones. <laughs> people were just saying like uh, going fully like uh, vegan and stuff and taking out all the all the meat and everything. That's what's, that's what's causing you problems. You need to go meat because meat's giving you cancer and meat's giving you diabetes and everything. And you've got people on the same side saying, well, yeah, plants are giving you diabetes as well. And so mm. it's like, I want to study that stuff and I want to I learn about it. And I figured if I was going to take the path that was in a sense more difficult and kind of less easy that if I can do, I do uh, medical school through the Navy and do the Navy cadetship we've got uh, over here in the UK um, and then uh, do stuff with the Royal Navy um, as part of my training. Um, so kind of personal development and kind of leadership training and that kind of stuff and all that uh, area. So um, I figured I was going to take the path that was more difficult. I might as well go the whole hog and do the, do the Navy stuff. So it's maybe six years of service after, after medical school. Um, but 
if, if, if I get to the point where like I'm 37 and decide I hate medicine, um, I think that's when I'll be kind of free again. <laughs> then I'll, uh, yeah. And if I hate medicine, then you're kind of, you got a medical degree and hopefully psychiatry is what I want to get into. Cause I like, I find the kind of brain and behavior stuff really fascinating. And mm. when I was learning about stuff, I kind of was a lot of time to think through stuff <laughs> on the trip. And so it was like, I figured that I look uh, so doing civil service stuff, I've got a lot of political chat and especially in the UK with a lot of uh, political stuff going on at the moment. And which I got asked about everywhere. Like people in Uzbekistan, were like what's going on with Brexit? And it's like, what do you know? Just <laughs> leave it. And so, uh, and you got everyone kind of at the moment they were ch chatting very politically. And I thought, well, kind of to understand the political chat, you've got to go below in terms of the psychology of like how you understand people. And that becomes fundamental. And I've thought about anything work-wise and in terms of even sports and uh, business or whatever, so much of it comes down to psychology and how much you think. And so did my psych degree and then uh, was underwhelmed by it. Like it was interesting, but I figured if I was going to spend another few years at university doing like a PhD in psychology, I might as well be going to do medicine and do psychiatry if I could. Um, and so that's the idea. And hopefully I can do it with the Navy and that'll push me on to uh, new things. Uh, but we're going to see, it's difficult to plan that far ahead. Um, but yeah, I like, I, yeah, plan like sports wise, get back into triathlon and that's the next challenge. It's like, see if I can, like, not a pro athlete's not coming back but like as in get back to it and get back into health and do it healthily and kind of uh get back to fitness and just yeah and just see where that goes um because i've enjoyed the process and then i think it teaches me good values just to get up and get out in the morning give you something to do and uh push yourself because then when i was doing like my nine to five kind of slightly easier uh kind of job up in london it was like people were kind of losing their heads over the fact that i left it didn't go out on time or whatever and because I've done some of the stuff in healthcare and done some of the triathlon stuff, like, that's not a long day. That's fine. That's easy. And just like you can focus on task by task and get through it. And because that's what you've kind of taught yourself to do like, triathlon wise. And you've taught yourself like to get up in the morning and put the work in and not complain about it and get going. So I did that. Yeah. So, yeah, did the age group world championships, uh, what, two years ago now so 2017 like, i was meant to do it in lausanne last weekend but i'm in no position to run <laughs> so i didn't go and do it but uh yeah it teaches you such good values in terms of just training and discipline and so when you're at work and not particularly enjoying the task rather than sitting there complaining oh this is so boring kind of thing and like so many colleagues maybe would do um if they're listening i'm not talking about you um <laughs> but uh yeah, and so you just got to don't, don't complain about it, get on with it and see how you can do things more efficiently, how you can do things like you know, look beyond the original kind of individual task and go, what is this doing bigger picture? And it helps you kind of come up from what your daily training is or your weekly training is to go like, where do I want to be in a year or where do I want to be kind of, and that it, it teaches you good stuff and that's what yeah. I enjoy about it. And so it's good fun to, it'd be good fun to get back into it. Um, hopefully without breaking a leg in the process. <laughs> uh, you'll be right. Just a little bit more, a little bit more good food, good protein and um, exactly back into it. It's funny, maybe you saw, but I listened to a podcast about a couple of weeks ago and it kind of described a lot of what people's psychology comes from is the country that they're in. So the country yeah. that has very strict rules, such as say Singapore, um, Japan, China, yeah. Um, where the laws are very strict, they don't question what the government sort of tells them to do. 
Mm. Um, and so there's a little bit of a downside from the way that people act there and that they, they're not always as open to people who look or seem different. But at mm. the same time, um, there's way, way less crime. They're generally healthier. They're not overindulgent. They're not obese. Yeah. Um, and then the flip side is countries like Australia and America where we're kind of more loose. We question the establishment. Yeah. Um, we kind of do our own thing. And yet yeah. our generally our health is a lot worse, overindulgence and crime is worse. Is that, I mean, I just found that really interesting as a psychology kind of factor mm. of what influences the way that people do things or respond mm. to people. Did you notice yeah. that across the, around the, around the earth? Yeah. And that was, that was part of the, the reason kind of why I went to do this rather than just like pet around Europe for a year or just kind of whatever. Uh, because I wanted to understand kind of, in a sense, to understand kind of the, I guess, the blueprints of what's human and what's kind of, kind of human psychology. You've got to study different cultures and understand different cultures. And I wasn't doing it kind of formally through like questionnaires and stuff, but you could kind of ask people different places the same questions and so you kind of see what the answers are. Um, and Singapore was fascinating because like as, as a culture, they've got, no natural resources like they import all their water from malaysia and so they've got nothing so the only, the only export they have is people and so they have to train people because that's all they can export and so when i got there and i was talking to kind of people who are kind of my age and stuff and uh about the trip and they were like why are you doing it kind of thing i was like, oh it's a good opportunity to learn go and do this kind of thing but they were like yeah but you're not getting a degree and you're not in a job what a waste of time kind of thing and it was such an interesting viewpoint because people I'd met like in Australia who were on like in kind of Byron Bay and stuff on like um <laughs> kind of proper proper gap year scene everyone was just kind of like oh but I'm entitled to these kind of like three years of whatever I want and I've worked so hard at university and yeah <laughs> worked so hard and I, I'm entitled to this kind of uh this time of doing whatever I want and just thinking about me kind of thing where you go like a few hundred miles north and you're in Singapore and it's like and everyone's just like I've got to work until i'm kind of maybe 35 and then i'll think about getting married and having family and children and stuff and it's just so focused on what yeah what they need kind of what they need to do and what kind of the culture is expected of them because in a sense if singapore wasn't like that the economy wouldn't be where it is because they have nothing to export if they haven't got good people to export the economy would fall apart um and so that was really really interesting um and just the different viewpoints of that kind of stuff like especially like chatting to different kind of uh, kind of Westerners on their gap here in Southeast Asia and Australia and stuff. You'd kind of, and for me, I wanted to go and learn. I wanted to see different places and I wanted to understand people. And like I said before, like that's part of why bike touring is fun because you have to engage with people and you're not just hanging out with other Westerners in hostels. You're like, you're having to ask for help and you're having to do it in places where they've never seen a tourist before. And so like places in China, they've got, it's almost like they're so China centric. They don't realize other languages exist. Like you're trying to speak, I don't speak Chinese and, but there's just no common ground and stuff at all. And so I also go to a shop and was like, I oh, was that 10 you are. And there's like, that is 10, I think in China, a little, a little X with your fingers or like, uh, like thumb and pinky is six apparently. And so I'm sitting there like, I have no common ground. Like I would ask people in, in China, I was like, uh, through a translate app and say, sorry, I don't speak Chinese. So they would write things down for me in Chinese. And it's like, if he doesn't, if he doesn't speak Chinese or read Chinese, like how do you even exist? And so they just give you no time of day at all. 
but you've got like and so you kind of realize that uh just how like different some of the cultures are and so you go to places and like and and they just kind of completely yeah, no and you can do it within there's no they haven't seen a tourist at all or they're very unfamiliar kind of thing and so they give you no time and that's the challenge of doing it and that's the fun of doing it uh of the trip and the way you're doing it because you're not skipping out large areas of land you have to go from just a to b and go through all the, the tough bits and the good bits um but chatting to like gap year people in in like byron bay and southeast asia and stuff i'd say to them, oh, so what's they talk about a lot of what they've done and so they say like, i've done southeast asia i've done australia and it's kind of like you're just checking boxes kind of that's what it sounded like i said oh like oh sounds you've done done quite a lot of the world like what do you uh, what have you learned from your trip kind of thing and uh, I remember one person was like, "Learn." I was like, "Yeah, well, what have you what have you learned?" Because um, for me, like, it was so humbling, but it's so encouraging. And that's and I realized that kind of uh, how much help I need and how many uh, how many people are around me I need to lean on, kind of thing. But also, what's capable if you are focused on the goal and focused on moving forward each day and take responsibility for moving forward uh, and do that. And okay, it's on me. No complaining about it. Just get from A to B. Let's go. Uh, and you realize how far you can move by doing that. And I texted someone, I was like, oh, so what have you learned? She was like, oh, I don't know. I was like, you've been, you've been traveling for a, like, you've been on your gap year, you've been traveling for like a whole, oh, over a year now. It's like, oh, no one's ever asked me what I, what I learned before. It's like, okay, well, I'm asking now. And so she genuinely didn't have an answer. And so she said, oh, ask me, ask me, ask me again tomorrow. Maybe I've got an answer. I asked her and then she never clued. <laughs> so I was like, all right, fair enough. So, like, if you want to do that, that's fine. But I, yeah, I, I struggled to, see some of the the struggles people are going through in different parts of the world and then now i coming home and seeing friends and stuff I, I am struggling a bit with how much money people spend on nights out and going out and drinking and stuff and in a sense if you want to do that that's fine i'm not being judgmental but i'm now i now struggle to spend like seven pounds on a beer in london kind of thing because it's like i know that there's someone else who, if i gave that money to someone else in who's selling fruit on the side of the road in Malaysia or something that like that would kind of change their day or change their week kind of thing. And it's yeah. like, yeah. And so I'm struggling to a little bit with balancing those things. And that's kind of comes back to the decision to go and do medicine and stuff that I kind of feel as though I want to serve with my life rather than just do what's easy for me. And go like, Oh yeah. I won the kind of uh, the genetic lottery being born in the UK kind of thing. I can just put my feet up and do something that's easy. I feel as though like, doing it is going to make me realize how small the world is like you can cycle from singapore to the uk in a few yeah. months and it's like <laughs> kind of yeah and it's like oh that's not as big a thing as i thought it was because before like i first bike tours 2011 and i hadn't done much like many holidays i've done a few holidays in like did like a family holiday to greece and been to austria a couple of times skiing but i haven't really done that kind of much traveling like maybe many, many other families might have done and so when in 2011, my oldest brother was like, oh, we should cycle to Paris in the school, like school holiday. And I was like, I just bought a road bike and I was like, I don't really want to. It seems a bit, I don't know whether I could. And we ended up doing it. It took us like five days because we had a really quite bad, bad weather. But like five days to do 500 kilometers and rode down to Paris. And we got to Calais the first day. It's from London down to Calais in, in a day. So that kind of northern bit of France um, just across the channel. And like, oh, France isn't that far away. <laughs> like and you kind of oh we've got to paris and so it's like oh i'm practically home and you realize how close that is and you're like then a couple of years later went with my younger brother because to me it was like oh that completely changed my perspective on stuff and it's like oh things are quite a lot smaller so we cycled down to rome it took like three weeks to get down to rome uh through meandering through europe and a couple of years later and then 
the year later we had all the equipment and we realized we weren't gonna me and my younger brother realized we were gonna be busy that summer we had like five days before he went on holiday and i went to go and do something else so we're like oh do you want to go do something in, like a bike trip this year so went to amsterdam just did london to amsterdam like was left the next day kind of thing and it completely changes your perspective in terms of like oh you can just go and just take very little things and the, the world becomes so much smaller yeah. and so i struggle now to kind of put that in a box and say that's the other side of the world and say like i'm fine spending hundreds of pounds on a night out kind of thing when you give that money to someone else in a different country and it's like we're all people you know and that sounds very gap and very cliche but like <laughs> i yeah I, I struggle with it more so i feel as though now i've got to use the opportunity and i want to use the opportunity uh i've been given by going to be born here and uh with the ability to study medicine and uh kind of the work ethic that i've, I've developed and learned and i need to and want to use that and apply that so i can help other people in other situations um mm-hmm. And not to be like, oh, brilliant! I'm in the UK. I can get a job that's alright, and sit around, chill in London, and go out every week. And I, and then do, just, I, I get I get bored immediately. Like, <laughs> and so. and then you'd be everyone else. Like, it's not the same. But Jamie and I just spending the two weeks that we did living in a house in Japan, yeah, in a fairly traditional house, um, a couple of months ago. And yeah, that looked cool. Living with not a lot, like really bare minimalist, because it was only the stuff yeah. that we could take with us, and we had to pack yeah. very light to take our bikes and everything. And yeah. in the house, it's a pretty minimalist house. And I came back and was like, "Oh my god, Jamie, we've got to get rid of a lot of this stuff because we've got mm. cupboards that are overflowing with stuff. Yeah. We've just got to sell it and like actually get money, and then keep the money and not buy new stuff with it." I can set this turnover of money and just buy new stuff. Then we get rid of the old stuff. And I was like, let's just not get new stuff and get rid of this stuff. Um, So that, yeah, but as well, what you, what you said really, what you said about the people like the, the gap year people that don't have a goal Mm. and because they don't have a goal, like each day, they're not learning anything each day. So it's amazing how you linked having a goal with learning. And like yeah. that became really evident in what you were saying. Like, yeah, if you don't have a goal, you won't be learning. Like you can live life, but you're not really going to push yourself in any way that you're going to learn anything yeah. if you don't have a goal. Yeah. You so. end up just kind of just drifting and you end up just doing kind of the day to day and end up, yeah, not going potentially where, where you could have gone. And I feel as though like often you have to kind of battle upstream to get towards a goal because it's difficult or you got to compete against other people because other people are going for the same thing. Like, I guess if what you're going for is of value, then other people, if it's a particular job, a particular promotion, like you're not going to be the only person going for it if it's anything worth going for. And so you've got to learn to work and push yourself and work hard. And I think if you're, I don't know how you, how you say it, but like, if you're not, then you're not necessarily serving into your family or community or your own life as much as you could be. And that's on you. That's not the product of society. And that's not um, an oppressive system, whether that's just you not putting your head down and working hard enough. And there's all, you can always work harder is kind of my, uh, is what I've I've developed. Like after even like exams and stuff at school, um, like I was quite happy. Uh, I've got to thank my older brother quite a lot for the how much he's sown into my life because I was quite happy just drifting through exams at the end of school. So like uh, when I was 16, I was like, kind of, oh, I'm an all right student. I was going to get A's and B's and stuff. And uh, he took me uh, to an open day around Oxford University and I look around 
And I was like, wow, this place is gorgeous around here. And he was like, and just kind of uh, bet me and my younger brother, like, uh, I know he didn't have the money, but he said, like, I give you, I give you a grand if, like, I give you a thousand pounds if you get straight A stars at, at, at the end of school. And I know he didn't have the money, so we could never pay up or whatever, but I was like, kind of like challenge accepted and so i wanted to uh, go and wanted to go and do that and so i pushed it a lot harder and got i didn't get straight a stars but i was a heck of a lot higher than i would have done um so like yeah it was all all a's and a stars but like uh and i remember walking home from from school on the exam day i was quite disappointed but i'd done a bit better than most of my friends and they're all quite happy like just like yeah just, it is what it is but i was like oh man like i have to go back to the drawing board how can i get better how do i do this better and it's been a constant evolution and um like i did so much better in like my final university exams just because i was kind of constantly evaluating the process of how do i get better in exams and i guess this was off all that triathlon this kind of trip teaches you you just learn by doing it and you learn through experience and you learn like Obviously, you don't want to have to reinvent the wheel. So you read around the subject or try and learn from people such as yourself. You know a lot more about triathlon than I do. A lot, learn a lot more about the math method than I do. There's no point, yeah, there's no point me starting all the, doing my own kind of math atone, just read film, like all my own research. It's like, just read Phil's work. He's already done the, he's already done the legwork. And so yeah. there's no point reinventing the wheel. Like try and, if you know people who are doing kind of what you want to do, just model their behavior and ask them how they do it. And and what yeah. mistakes they made <laughs> exactly and so you don't have to make the same ones and that's what's that's what's brilliant about kind of yeah just being able to communicate with each other and be like you're an easy got on a podcast and stuff like this that you yeah. can learn about that kind of stuff and being away for you just jump into have, any podcast and so yeah um i wanted to ask at the start but have you have you been inundated with other interviews is have you done many has it been local news uh there's been a lot of emails um but not kind of like uh face-to-face stuff like this um but yeah i don't know um there's a few more the, local, to talk. the local news didn't come in and we don't but we don't really have like tv like local tv stuff like that yeah it's um, too you're in you're too close to london basically well yeah just because it's like yeah you actually really don't really there's not like local TV channels. There's just national TV channels. It's just the BBC and that's basically it. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah. And cause I'm doing nothing Brexit related. I wouldn't get any TV time. That's all. That's all on the TV. That's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, exactly. So, um, so no, I haven't done, I haven't done a, I haven't done a great deal. I'm doing a talk at the, the bike shop next week. So if, uh, yeah, it'll probably be by the time this goes out, I would have done it by now, but uh, yeah. I've done it, but, uh, yeah, so, so I've got that to come up and plan for and prep, but um, and otherwise medical it. school starts in a in a couple of weeks. Yeah, two weeks, and yeah, so it'll be uh, two weeks today. I'll be in Belfast and then getting on with medical school and yeah, going back to university and learning again. And I'm 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 keen to keep learning, and that's why I I'm not adverse to going back to university for a few years because I enjoy the learning process and it's always difficult, but. It's always quite fun when you it's difficult to start off with when you get to exam time you're like hey i didn't know any of this to start of the year and i'm right at it now i can i know a lot of this stuff in the textbook and it's always fun looking ahead in the textbook going, i should know all this stuff by the end of the year and that's quite a weird place to be but, um, yeah yeah, yeah it's i, I can't imagine that'll be um that'll be a big change but i mean it'll be it's like you say it'll be the same set goals then you'll be learning exactly um, and that's what and that's what like it, yeah you can just kind of learn a kind of almost a set of principles to apply to a lot of things it's kind of <laughs> don't be arrogant about stuff and be humble and kind of your abilities 
work hard with what you've got, seek help from people around you, um, and just put the hours in. And you can always learn how to do things more efficiently and always get better and always improve. Um, and it's kind of like, you can always do, yeah, which is obviously, just try your best in the exam. It's kind of like, if you don't know what your best is. And so you just keep ever pushing forward what your best could be. And I guess it's part of the fun of triathlon stuff. You're never going to have a perfect race. You could always do things better and always get things, uh, yeah, become sharper or eat better or uh, run more efficiently. And that was kind of the fun thing because I used to play basketball and stuff um, as high standards as basketball is in the UK. Um, and there's so many different kind of drills and stuff in different areas of the sport. And then moving over to triathlon, it's like, oh, let's just swim, bike, run now. So surely you just like, but you, <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, uh, you froze. Back. But uh, yeah, like you learn that kind of like, okay, there's different intensities of running or different things target your fat burning or kind of sugar burning or kind of fast twitch fibers or this does more strength or like just the running mechanics and like how you how you run or like uh, kind of where, where you're putting your arms and stuff when you're running or like just the catch and swimming and all yeah. these tiny little nuances and you realize how many things you can break down and like just talking to you about kind of yeah. looking at your O2 sats and your ketones and that kind of thing and it's like geez there are so many things you can break down that to and if you start applying that then into academics and I started I don't know why it took me into my third year of my psych degree to start applying some of the stuff that I was learning. Like, cause before I was studying and revising, like, and just listening to like, listen to have music on the background, but then kind of almost subconsciously you're encoding, like when you're trying to memorize stuff, you're encoding a lot of the lyrics that you're, you're listening to. And so I ended up kind of my final year, I ended up just having like putting one particular piece of classical music. So without, uh, without any lyrics or anything, just anchoring that to each topic kind of thing. And so, I could then sit in the exam and know he kind of almost think to the song and then it'd help kind of rejoin my memory. And it would kind of like, okay, I know what that is because I, you've got to just put the, how does it just like one song on repeat, uh, like for each kind of each topic kind of thing. And yeah. then you move around and then, so you can kind of anchor that and you realize you can just break those kind of things down, like studying in the exam hall. If you know, if you can do that, like if you know what you're, the exam is going to be, just go and study in that example or study in that lecture room. Cause then you've kind of got the same, yeah. cues that you're you're encoding as you learn and study and it's been a whole part of the process of learning uh through bike touring and through triathlon whatever it's just a process of learning in general that you learn you can break down to those little principles and then you can say like oh studying to sit in a library kind of thing it's like okay but and how can you break down the studying so like i don't know if you're sharing with a friend can they write this down or how can you uh or like in a lecture, rather than making notes on everything the person was saying, with the lecturer was saying, just making notes on the bits that aren't already written down for you, and you just written to the bits that he's saying outside of it, and mm. then going, yeah. And so it's just yeah, it's all, you um, realize how many nuances there are to things, and uh, actually how many, how significant some of the nuances can be. And mm. it's like, uh, was it the Richard Koch eighty twenty principle kind of thing, and like how the tiny little twenty percent can make eighty percent of the rewards, and so you can spend like heck of a lot of time in university lectures but our university my undergrad started recording all the lectures and so rather than spending 20 minutes going up to campus sitting in the lecture making some notes and then 20 minutes back kind of thing if i just wait for the recording i can go through the lecture and then i have to go back through the recording anyway to miss all the bits that i've missed and so i write down all the bits that i missed out the first time so if i just wait for the recording to come out i can just sit at home and <laughs> go through it once make a complete set of notes and save myself an hour and a half 
and then I've got an hour and a half I can do other things with. Yeah. And it's kind of finding those little nuances and when you're trying to pack in a whole triathlon type training schedule and stuff, I'm, I'm training nowhere near as much as you guys would be, but like trying to fit in like a couple of training sessions a day around work and stuff, you've got to be smart with those kind of things. And it's, mm. it teaches you to keep looking for stuff and there's keep finding stuff and keep asking questions. And I guess what it comes down to is curiosity and asking questions. Yeah. And, and that's, answers, I guess. and that's a big thing that I've gone down with the um, changing my diet and changing the way that I train and, yeah doing things to heart rate and like you have to question everything because it's totally yeah. against the norm so if you don't yeah, learn, sure. if you don't learn more than you need then yes you really kind of are up against it because you'll just end up doing well what everyone else does if you if that's what i've for been sure. trying to do for the last couple of years is learn yeah. all the stuff that is against the the norm because a i've had to because of of health issues and yeah. um b because you're doing things differently you have to learn more than everyone else so yes um, but yeah all those nuances with um i love that you would saying like things like study in the hall that you're gonna it's, it's the same as visualizing the race yeah for when sure. you're in training and the power of the brain is yeah. like perception is everything then the yeah. brain power is everything and um yeah it's it's fascinating stuff that is really key there's, there's other areas you can even go to that like in terms of studying and stuff like uh like you know like the kind of like the like gel pens and stuff which have got particular smells right like the olfactory wow. bulb is right next to the hippocampus right it kind of was where it's located in your brain and so that's why if you like you particular smells can take you straight back to a particular memory because it's so closely kind of located that like you can smell like i know particular perfume walking down the street and just be like I remember that girl I dated 10 years ago kind of thing. Yeah. And it's like, and it's that, it's that kind of thing. And so there's even like more kind of things you can go into with study. You could like use gel pens with a particular smell for a particular topic. And then like, yeah. And just kind of go back to the smell particularly and that'll help. There's so many nuances to it. And that's kind of a, why I love psychology, but um, there's the stuff that you get, you teaches you in triathlon because you look at it on the face of it and just be like, triathlon's training for a swim go swimming and that's kind of like the swim up and down then you break it down to go okay i've got to work on this particular area of the stroke and i've got to do catch on my legs and i've got to catch on like how do i do kind of a flip turn better and that sort of stuff and it teaches you to keep breaking it down and keep asking questions and keep improving all the little bits and how that adds up and how significant that becomes um and so it's yeah, yeah so it's a good fun learning process i think absolutely and even like even bike touring like the first bike tour like i planned routes and stuff but i never planned a route to where i was going to stay and so i'd get to a town and this was like back in what, 2011 2012 before i'd done um before like data was that readily available and things and so you get somewhere and it's like oh i'm now in the middle of a town I have nowhere near where i don't know where my accommodation is or where i'm staying and i haven't got a way of finding it because i haven't got the map and so i learned over the next few tours actually like you're, you know where you're going to stay and you can kind of plan where you're going to stay on shorter tours. Like I know I have to do, I plan the route into the, to that person's house or like to that particular campground or whatever, because otherwise you just end up in the middle of nowhere and you can like, Oh, right. I've now got, it's little things like that. You don't really think about from kind of a higher level, but since you come down to go the nitty gritty, like and the tiny bits, um, you realize how important those bits are because you end up yeah. sitting in some like in the middle of, I don't know, middle of like Florence somewhere and so we're like, ah, this is a big city in Italy and I have no idea where I'm staying and I've kind of like reserved place on like a hostel somewhere and I've got no idea where it is. And my Italian is not very good. And so, uh, yeah. So yeah, it teaches you that kind of stuff. And that's what I love about it. And yeah, so much of it is a mental challenge as well as the physical and 
yeah, I think it teaches me yeah. good things, and I think it would have taught me more than like a surfing holiday for a year. Um, not like a <laughs> surf, but you know. Yeah. Um, well, I tried. I tried to teach how to we, surf. Yeah, it was we bad. Tried, my, we tried. Yeah. yeah, we tried. Well, it's been epic catching up. It's been epic yeah, catching sure. up on um, everything and how much you've learned and how much you've seen. It's just been unbelievable. Um, mm-hmm. Thanks so much for sharing your story with us. And I at only it. 23 years of age still. 24 now, 24 now. Uh, 24 now. Um, there's going to be heaps more, heaps more adventures for sure. Yeah, uh, we'll see. So looking forward to seeing all the other stuff that you get up to. Um, yeah, we'll see, see you in Kona in a few years. I'm, I'm like... Yeah, we'll both be back on the start line <laughs> hopefully then. I'll see you kind of coming down the Queen K the other way when you're about to finish and I'm just going out for the marathon. I was going <laughs> to do that. Yeah, that sounds Yeah, good. I appreciate fun, the opportunity. And, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, anything else? When, you when, you, when you're at that point, you got it. You got it. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to add in? Uh, not particularly. Like, if you are interested, look at the highlights. My Instagram's just, my name's at David Hayward. So H A Y W O D. You'd be surprised how many people can't spell wood. Um, <laughs> But yeah, other than that, um, there's and they are a lot of information on my yeah. website and tips and stuff on, I've done from before uh, from other trips and things and little reviews of other trips and uh, like the world record, like the Guinness World Record I set a couple of years ago, which some person stolen whilst I was on this uh, whilst on this trip. Um, someone's <laughs> taken it now. But uh, yeah, that was the most countries cycled through in seven days. So uh, it's quite easy to do in Europe. But, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, and I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, yeah, I appreciate uh, all the tips and stuff you give me on triathlon wise and health and stuff. And yeah, I'm looking forward to get back into it. Yeah, unreal. It's been awesome chatting. Um, thanks for joining it. us. Thanks, thanks for joining us, David Haywood. Nice. Cheers.